not often you can sit down with somebody you're suing and have a friendly conversation. Well, I did just that with State Auditor General Eugene D. Pasquale. We talked about his growing up in Pittsburgh, uh, his decisions to run for the State House of Representatives and Auditor General, and also about his holding of the title as the only statewide elected official in the country to complete a Spartan race trifecta. Well, to hear more about that, uh, keep on listening. Welcome to Brews and Views. I'm Matt Briette, president of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs, and uh, I'm at the uh, Federal Tap House in Harrisburg, uh, mm. joined by uh, Auditor General Eugene D. Pasquale. Uh, Eugene, thanks for joining me here. Thanks, Matt, and thanks for finding the place that actually thinks that you know having beer tastes good isn't a crime. Too, <laughs> well, so. they've got a hundred on tap. Yeah, here, it's actually so. probably too many choices for guys <laughs> like you and me. Oh no, I'm a, you know being a capitalist, I'm uh, all about uh, choices. Well, right? That, that's right, but you want them to be. There comes a point where like going. There's only so many ways I can I can make that steak. Yeah. It makes it hard. However, in your honor, I uh, chose a York, uh, Pennsylvania beer. Collusion uh, Tap Works is my my beer of choice. So, I appreciate uh, that. Well, I went a little up uh, Midwest. I went Michigan <laughs> with some brown ale because it's feeling a little fall like that. Today. There you go. It's a perfect beer for it. So, uh, well, uh, Eugene, I appreciate your taking Absolutely. time out of your busy schedule to. Uh, well, we want to get to know uh, the person behind the politician, mm-hmm. someone who's been active uh, in state politics. Uh, uh, certainly, I, one thing I noted is that you were the first uh, York Countyan elected statewide uh, for the first time since 1954 when yeah. George Leader, uh, right. whose, whose daughter served as uh, chair of the Commonwealth Foundation uh, for a time, just rotated off this yeah. last fall. So some interesting connections yeah. there. Of course, that was 2012. Yeah, it started when, a trend. Uh, you know, yeah, Governor Wolf came <laughs> after me. And of course, we'll, we'll see if you know Senator Wagner can pull it off. Yeah, too. so 2012, you, Governor Wolf. 2014 uh, of course senator wagner wants to do so in 2018 and even if and regardless of you know, if he wins the primary no matter what you'll have a york county as governor because it'll either be governor wolf reelected right. or or senator wagner so and i was just reelected as well so it's it's gonna be i i i, I people say what is it in the water i think it may be more of a historical anomaly than anything in the water well but. there's certainly a lot of history uh, yeah. there in york but uh what well, interestingly uh, you are not from York. Right. Uh, you you grew up in uh, Pittsburgh. So before we get into a lot of the politics of the day right. and your assessment of things, uh, tell us about uh, your growing up. I mean, right. how did you even get involved in politics? Right. And I know you grew up in Pittsburgh and what brought you to York. But tell me about growing up uh, as a deep Pasquale in the, in Pittsburgh. Yeah, grew up in the city of Pittsburgh, um, you know, Squirrel Hill neighborhood. Um, and, you know, look, I had a lot of cousins uncles, aunts, you know, all over Allegheny County, mostly the city of Pittsburgh at the time. Good Catholic families, right? That's right. Went to Pittsburgh Central Catholic. And, you know, look, growing up in Pittsburgh, that, you know, I would say that there were things that you that we took for granted that I didn't necessarily know should have been, for example, sneaking on the fifth hole of the Shenley Golf Course. Oh, you mean everyone didn't have a public golf course that you could just sneak on the fifth hole? You know, walking to Little League games, um, being able to walk to my elementary school, having Shenley Park so close to close to our house. So that was just stuff that and even, you know, the business strip in in uh, in Murray Avenue in in the Squirrel Hill neighborhood, Minio's and Aiello's Pizza, two of the best pizza shops in the world. I thought, oh, doesn't everybody have this? Yeah. How many brothers and sisters did you have? Well, two younger brothers. One okay. passed away in 98 from muscular dystrophy. My other brother, who's a year younger than me, is uh, still alive and kicking in Pittsburgh. And uh, family date back in Pittsburgh for a long time? Or you my, know, when you guys emigrated there? Or? Yeah, my great-grandfather was the one that originally came over. He was uh, Pietro Peter De Pasquale. And then and he settled in Panther Hollow, which is a section of the neighborhood of Oakland. So it is right near the University of Pittsburgh. Huh. You know, you look at Panther Hollow Bridge, the Pitt Panthers, so that's some of the name. But the Panther mm-hmm. Hollow neighborhood was sort of like, a, it was almost in an all-Italian neighborhood. Even if you go down there today, it's a Pitt parking lot today, but they have sort of the signs of how far it is to Italy down in that neighborhood. <laughs> Interesting. So uh, grew up in, in Pittsburgh. Went, you said you went to uh, Catholic schools yeah, uh, yeah. all the way through uh, uh, elementary and high school? Started out at St. Paul's Cathedral in the Oakland neighborhood, then moved um, to uh, St. Philomena, which is now no longer even 
and there um, in sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Then I went to Pittsburgh Central Catholic, um, was fortunate enough to be on the state title football team. We were pretty good in, uh, in, in baseball, too. Made a nice little run my senior year there as well. I didn't play basketball, but made the state finals there as well, but ran into this juggernaut named Carlisle and Billy Owens. Um, <laughs> like, oh, our guys are pretty good, but... They're not the seventh <laughs> pick in the draft, so that was a that was a tough one to run into. But we, we it was a great high school. Almost all of us uh, went went to college. It was a really great high school, great experience, and kids from all over Allegheny County of all walks of life, right in right in uh, pretty much center part of center part of Pittsburgh. So so you were an athlete. You played baseball, football. Right. You went on. Did you play in college? I played as well? baseball and okay. football in college too okay. at the College of Worcester in Ohio, which is a small liberal arts school. For those in Central Pennsylvania, if you want to think Dickinson or Franklin and Marshall, okay. a lot like those schools. Okay. Well, what took you to Ohio? Why why oh, why were college just so you could play there? Yeah, I mean, it turned out to be the right academic fit, but at the time, you know, you wanted to keep playing baseball, and you know, the Astros didn't really have. Much need for a guy throwing 82 miles an hour. So you had to find somewhere where uh, that was your heat. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that was, which is not bad for high school and sure. even Division three. It, it's not bad, but uh, it, you're not going much further than Clayton that. Kershaw's changeup. I think is 89 miles an hour. So I don't think I was. I'd be much of a threat to those guys. Well, so you go off to college, uh, and do you end up coming back uh, yeah. to Pittsburgh? And in this time, are you you know paying attention to politics? What you know, where where is this? Bring the political bug as to when that came into your your life. So, um, my, well, my grandfather was on the Pittsburgh City Council, so I was always okay. aware of politics. I never did I really think about at some level running for something. You know, I wasn't someone in the sixth grade or you know scheming to how can I get elected to Congress or something like that. Certainly, as a Democrat, I wouldn't have moved to your county with the idea of like, <laughs> hey, let me go run for office. Um, I was, I you know, I supported the Clinton campaign, you know, on the college Democrats. In 92, I had an internship. I think where I really started to get the bug for it was I uh, took some classes. I was in this program at Georgetown University the summer before my senior year, and I interned at NASA. And everyone and in Georgetown, you know, I don't want to say everyone, but a lot of people, whether you're Republican or Democrat, liberal, moderate, or conservative, has a political bug in them. And mm-hmm. so just being around around that and when we'd go out at night and started debating politics and you really started to I really started to in a sense get my ideological fit of you know growing up in Pittsburgh you know political diversity was a conservative Democrat or a liberal Democrat. Right, like that's right, right. what your idea of political <laughs> diversity yeah, was yeah. you know because there hasn't been a Republican elected citywide. Was, you know, it, was your grandfather a conservative or a liberal Democrat? You what, would, def- would If you were to think about him in today's politics he's socially he would be socially Certainly, a conservative Democrat uh-huh. was very liberal on economics. Okay. Um, okay, he was. Uh, he would certainly ideological if you fit in to the uh, former Governor Casey camp. Like okay. that's where he would have fallen. Out. But you know, pretty much opposed to the death penalty, pretty much against abortion in all okay. instances. Hundred percent pro labor, and you know would be supportive of almost any program that would get kids working. You know, even if it meant increasing the government payroll like he would and was that what kind of your father's views and and yours kind of as you grew up as well is that how you shared no i would say that most of my uncles and my dad um my dad ran a small business they would have been much more in the side of you know my dad served in vietnam was wounded in vietnam Mm. um you know each of them at some level you know was of draft age during that time uh, my, of course, my aunt was a female at the time, so they, she wasn't you know, mm-hmm. getting drafted. But most of them, if you talk to them, you know, certainly I'm not sure what they were like as teens, but if you talk to them today, they would fall more into the camp of so, you know, socially moderate to liberal, whereas fiscally more moderate to conservative. Okay. That, that's where, so, no, they, they would, I would say that each of them, certainly on social issues, were quite different than my grandfather, and I would say certainly on the economics, too. And so uh, you go off to college, get involved, and yeah. so you were at this program at yeah. Georgetown. Yeah. Uh, when, uh, how did you enter into kind of the elected politics? Yeah. And along the line, I know you've got two kids. Right. Uh, you right. got a right. wife. Right. I mean, well, where did all of these uh, things develop uh, in, in your timeline? So I come back to Pittsburgh, um, and I go to graduate school at Pitt. And, you know, at some point I knew I was going to go to law school. And so, and again, like the, the issue with the Clinton campaign on campus, so I had had okay. the bug then. So I'd start volunteering on campaigns. When I moved from Pittsburgh 
you know, again, my grandfather, you know, a lot of deep Pasquale's, heavily Democratic, you know, constituency, certainly in the city, and obviously Allegheny County as well. When I moved out here and went to law school, I really thought if I was ever going to run for something, I'd end up moving. Going back to going Pittsburgh. Going back to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I go to law school. Um, John Brenner gets elected mayor. You know, I pass the bar exam, and he's elected mayor. Of, he of asked, York. Of, of York. The city of York, yes. And, and he asked me to come on board to serve as, in a sense, you know, part, partly with my legal skills, but also as director of economic development. Okay. And so that was my, you know, the first job that you could see where I was, you know, truly, you know, running a government program. Okay. Um, Were you in the private sector before? No, no, I, you, I worked so, in the legislature. Okay. I was a staffer in the okay. legislature, and I was going to law school at night. Okay, got it. Um, and so, and, and when I came out, I was, you know, I thought, I, you know, I thought about either public defender or assistant district attorney. That's where my head was mm-hmm. about where I was going to start my legal career, because I wanted to get in the courtroom. I thought if I was going to be, you know, a lawyer, like, I, that's where where the action would be. Right. That's what I wanted to do. You know, even it's funny how life could turn out differently. District Attorney Marcego of Dauphin County was one of my law professors. I almost got hired by him <laughs> as opposed to go work for the Economic Development Office in New York. And who knows what would have right, happened right, if that would right. have gone. Through. So so when, so when John gets elected, John Brenner gets elected York, I'm Director of Economic Development. And at that point, then Ed Rendell gets elected governor. And I guess you want to talk about the quote-unquote yeah. big break. So this is 02, 2002. Is 02. Mm-hmm. And if you want to think about the big break, he comes and he asks me to take my economic development and my legal, my you know, sort of pro-city mentality and take that to the Department of Environmental Protection to try to make environmental protection and economic growth a shared value mm-hmm. on how to, you know, that was one of the items he wanted someone that shared that philosophy at the Department of Environmental Protection. And so I was the staff person that he put at DEP to do that. And, you know, we, we were promoting alternative energy. We're promoting, you know, you take like what's happening with. Yeah, all the things I was fighting at the all time. All the right? things yeah. you were fighting at the But some of it, some of it, I would say you may have liked, disliked the means to get there. Right. But I think the idea of having cities be economically vibrant, we can have a, a very healthy debate. And I right. think some of it, we probably both have a yeah. point. <laughs> but having vibrant cities is, that is critical. critical. You bet. It's critical. So we can have, you know, again, I think, again, if we're all going to be honest, we both, you know, both sides in that debate had a real point. But the one thing that wasn't a debatable point was having vibrant cities. Right. And we do. Some of that is maybe because of some government programs. Some of it just because the young demographics shifted and they don't want to be in their cars all the time. Yeah. They like living in cities. Yeah. They don't want to have to mow the lawn. And we and maybe something to talk about in a little <laughs> bit. We got to fix our urban education yeah. because yeah. I think that's still one of the Achilles heel for cities yeah. is keeping families are not going to come into your cities. If, if your you stink, if, if yeah. you've got young, even millennials in cities, if they've got young kids, once they get of school age, we've got a real challenger. But the idea was, let's make cities more vibrant. I think in a lot of instances, that's really happened yeah. in Pennsylvania. And I'd say there's a lot of things. Some of it's luck. Some of it's timing. Some of it's sort of changing values of the of the demographic. Some of it is a pro-entrepreneurial spirit. And I do think some of the government programs help. I think it's sort of all of that combined drove that. So I was the one tasked with doing that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and then during that period of time, remember the infamous pay raise happened. Right. This is one where we July two thousand where we would have yeah. been on the same page. Yes, right. And um, I happened to be in one of the districts where a member voted for that, uh-huh. and he decided not to run for reelection. And I remember that night, um, Tracy said to me, um, "If your you're wife, ever going to do, yeah, yeah, yeah if you're ever going to do it, now's the time." Uh-huh. And so <laughs> I had to resign from DEP. So you can blame your wife for your, poli- your, your well, I, I, I would say I wasn't that hard of a push on that in, in full disclosure. But she needed her agreement, of that, course. That's yeah, right, yeah. I, but um, so she said, if you're ever going to do it, because I was, you know, you're, you know, I don't know if anyone's listening has ever had these conversations, but, you, you know, you do the pro and con list. Yeah. And, but because of the situation, you don't have a lot of time. Yeah. And one thing I've, and I've ever advised anyone that wants to run for office, if you want to run, you should run because there is no perfect time. Yes, there may be a handful of people out there that are really wealthy and there's zero risk. But do you, you know? But at the end of the day, there's no perfect time. If you think you can make a difference, you want to do the right thing, you think something needs to be changed, take the risk, roll the dice, and run. And that's what we ended up doing. And as fate would have it, I got the Democratic nomination and rolled on to a um, 
pretty substantial general election win. It was part of the 2006 wave. Yep, yep. And one of the things that I campaigned on that was not a major deal during the campaign is I promised if I was elected, I would put my expenses online. Uh-huh. Little did I know that that was... That People were going to actually expect you to do something? Not only expect you to do it, I didn't realize it at the time that the Pennsylvania legislature was such a culture of not letting anyone know how any of the money was spent. I didn't know they were exempt from the state's right to know. I I just said, well, yeah, I'll put my expenses online. You know, sort of like, yeah, like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, right, right. Then I get in, and I'm preparing to do it and realize, wow, I am shaking the apple cart here. Uh, your co- a lot of your colleagues didn't like that, right? I mean, it was it was uh, hey, you're kind of showing, and we're going to have to follow you. Let me be very clear. <laughs> this is I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, but this is proof that I can bring Republicans and Democrats in the legislature together. <laughs> okay, because they were unified in anger at me for putting those expenses online. I brought I brought America yeah. together that day, and, and my my sort of joke, which I think is only somewhat. Not true is that 12 million Pennsylvanians were happy and 202 weren't. Yes, yeah, right. Um, <laughs> but it, but I'm glad I did it. Um, and I think most members realized after that said, you know, this isn't really that big yeah, of a deal. Like right. the public has the right to know this, and I do think it helped create a culture shift to some degree. Now it's never going to be perfect, yeah. and but you know, it soon led to the revision of the open records law. That the Pennsylvania legislature, for the first time in its history, was not an exempt from the open records law. Now, a lot of other people deserve credit for that. Yeah. You know, I think Senator Pelleggi at the time, now a judge, was part of that. You know, former Representative Mahoney. You know, there were a lot of people involved with that. Certainly, former Governor Rendell were big on that. But I do think, in my own way, I helped create a climate change on that. Yeah. Well, somebody no pun has to be yeah. on climate change. <laughs> Someone needs to be the tip of the spear. Uh, you kind of provided that with it. And right. I know now we've, we put a lot of things online. Right. I think we still have a long right. ways to right. go, but that transparency uh, is an important thing. And I know that it was definitely right. a, you know, a bipartisan uh, push, not only from the pay raise, but uh, just then uh, a lot of folks right. working from that in 2005 have opened up government. We still have a ways to go, but I think uh, made tremendous uh, a leap since then. Certainly, I've seen challenges at the local level. My role is now as Auditor General. Certainly, in school districts, some are better than others. But one thing that taught me politically, and and I want to be a hundred percent like people need to know this, especially if anyone out there is in office that they wonder what happens if you take a risk or should I run. Mm-hmm. What that thing taught me is the anger that people have on day one because of their own selfish interests of. Well, now they're going to know my expenses because you're taking a risk. That goes away pretty quickly. Yeah. And I have always felt... Well, when you're doing the right thing, right? right that's that, right. That's, that, that's you, right. You have you, that solace. You're, you're going time, to yeah. get the daggers. Yeah. And I don't mean that, like, literally people... Yeah. Literally, but you're going to get the anger, the dirty looks. But that goes away pretty quickly. And we all in public life have had times where we rolled the dice and sometimes where you played it a little safe. And every time you roll the dice for something you strongly believe in, even if it doesn't work, you end up feeling dramatically better. And you think like, cause you know, governor Casey, former governor Casey, mm-hmm. um, God rest his soul had this quote. He goes, what did you do when you had the power? Yeah. And I think that should be the test for, for all of us, you bet. which is what did you do when you had it? Did you sit back and say, ah, it's too yeah. tough. I'm just going to let or it. I'll do that next time. I just got to play it safe. I got to get through this re-election. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. If I had a nickel for every oh. time I've heard that. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> We'd be buying a lot more beers tonight <laughs> for one right. thing. That's for sure. So uh, so you're in the, the state house from 06. You win in 06. Right. Uh, and then decide, you know what? I want to move on from here yeah. and throw your hat into the ring in 2012 right. for the Auditor General, which right. you might think that, uh, well, you had a Democratic Auditor General right. who'd been in for two right. terms, yeah. right? Right. Uh, and Jack relatively Wagner popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack was. I mean, yeah. I think he did a fine Absolutely. job. Absolutely. Uh, he had run for governor, right. I think, and didn't make it through the primary. Right. Uh, uh, but it may not have been a really a good time to run for a statewide office as a Democrat in, in 12, was it? Uh, I guess, well, you had the Obama uh, re-election. Right. Um, so there, but there he was, was no sure thing. That, when, that's uh, for sure. That, like, when oh. I decided to run, he was at sort of the, oh, yeah. the bottom of the If you'd asked me then, I'd have said, oh, I think Romney's going to, to win this. Yeah. Uh, but uh, nope, uh, kind of 
my disbelief that Trump could have won in 16. So don't ask me for predictions anymore. (laughs) Don't bet on me. So you you decided to run for uh, attorney, uh, I'm sorry, auditor general. Yes. So it was in about the summer, uh, spring, late spring, summer, when I said, I'm going to, you know, start making a run at this thing. Now, here's the little sort of secret in this thing. Unless you've got $20 million, or, you know, of, the, of your own money that you're just one. Like you have to put together, you have to see if you can put together right. a viable campaign. Because if I'm going to ask people to donate to me and dedicate their time and efforts and blood, sweat and tears to try to get me elected, I want to make sure they're not blowing their time, right. money, energy and effort. And then I'm going to have a viable chance to win. So we really took that spring and summer and I started talking about my qualifications. And the case I was making was... Not to just look at this job as whether the money's spent legally, but are the programs running as effectively as possible? And you're right. From a pure political perspective, you had a Republican governor. So you think, you know, Governor Corbett's in. So the re, there, were, there was literally no Democratic operation at this time mm-hmm. financially. Mm-hmm. So you think there's not going to be any, you know, sort of gra- you know, big money Democratic. Uh, so you're going to have a, whoever the Republican governor is would be able to pump a lot of money in. To the row office candidates because it's hard to raise a lot of money for these offices on your own. Obama was, you know, President Obama at that time was, I think, at about 40% approval rate. Yeah. But you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And at some point, you, you know, literally, you wake up and realize I'm the Democratic nominee. <laughs> and now Obama's popularity yeah. was improving. The state was in play. We're raising a couple bucks. And people are starting to, I think, in a good way, buy into the message of let's make sure our water's protected. Mm-hmm. Let's make sure we're running these programs the way they should run. And it's not just about, you know, making sure the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed, but let's make sure we're getting the biggest bang for our buck. And I think people also responded to, and I, I think some people didn't believe it at the time, but being, because uh, I said at that point we started to realize Governor Corbett might be a one-term yeah. governor. And so I made this pledge, no matter who the governor is, I'm going to be aggressive. Yeah. And part of the joke I tell, but it really happens, is that my first two years in office, when I'm at the Democratic dinners, Eugene, go get him, yeah. Rip Corbett, you keep getting him, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. And then some of the Republicans go, man, you're being tough on the governor. Why are you yeah. doing that? And then Governor Wolf won. And then when I started going to the Democratic dinners, why are you being why? so <laughs> tough? And the Republicans were like, go get him. And it was the foundation was what I was yeah. I say, I realized I wasn't running for president of the United States yeah. where you don't have a hundred million people watching the debate. But I'm doing what I said I was gonna do, which is biggest bang for the buck, regardless of how I vote in the ballot box, I don't care who the governor is, meaning I'm gonna call this like I see it. I've been probably some of the toughest school district audits, been ones that you know, like the Scranton one we just yep. did, an almost entirely right. democratic yep. school board. But they're messing up, so I'm gonna call them out on it. Penn Hills, when I called them out on it, again, an almost entirely Democratic school district, even on the Democratic National Committee. Now, having said that, I want to make it clear. I am a Democrat, and people have the right to, you know, hold me accountable to make sure that I'm playing it, you know, playing it straight. Mm-hmm. But that's what I, I laid well, out that it, platform in 2012. And I have to say, Eugene, I think the reason that we've gotten along for so mm-hmm. long and have been able to, while we would, might disagree on mm-hmm. uh, certain policy issues— mm-hmm. Uh, I do believe that you call balls and strikes right. uh, as you see them right. uh, and that you are fair, that you are, you know, you will be independent right. when you when you need to be. Right. And I think that that's something that I think a lot of Republicans I know right. have admitted as, as much uh, that your job at, as the auditor general has been a fair, independent, the type of, uh, well, general that, that we've needed in that capacity. Uh, and so to, that's to your credit. And I think it is something that, um, unfortunately, partisanship, as you know, and maybe we'll talk a bit yeah. about this, has uh, just overridden so much right. of the good that we could be right. doing uh, together right. uh, while having differences uh, in right. principles, but recognizing, look, we have the same policy. Kind of back to your conversation earlier. Look, we know we need to have vibrant urban centers in Pennsylvania. How we get there, that's where we got to debate but do so in with goodwill uh, and any willingness to compromise on the policies where you don't have to compromise on your principles at well, the end of the day. I think one of, and I, maybe that's a great way to go into, I think, an issue that I know is near and dear to your heart and it's near and dear to mine. And it's charter schools. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we I, you are a believer. And I would say that it's probably fair to say that I started this process as more of a charter skeptic. 
not against, but charter skeptic. And I have found through my And charter schools being independent public schools that kind of operate with greater independence, but with public resources. That, that's right. And so, yeah, that's that's correct. Just for listeners that don't fully understand what those kinds of schools are. They're and not private. Sometimes they have some private operators, right. but they are public schools. That's right. So as my role as Auditor General, I have found in auditing them that some of them are critical tools for educational choice in not just urban yeah. Pennsylvania, but mm-hmm. that's where, especially in the brick and mortar, yeah. they tend to be more. Oh, so. in Philadelphia, yeah. they've got waiting lines because they are. They tend to be the only alternative to kids. And I would say that that is one where I think someone from like your position has proven to be right. People wanted that choice. Where we all get into these camps is we know there's some abuses in the system. Sure. And I, well, I've continually said, okay, we now have some really good charter schools, but we got some bad actors stealing some money from these kids. Let's find a way to compromise and clean up the system so we get the bad actors out of the system. And I'm not blaming you or me, but this is where a case of, like, compromise has become yeah. a dirty word. I, I, when I talk to rank-and-file Democrats and Republicans, they're like going, we know we're right, but we can't get to a deal because some people fall into you have to either be against every charter or you've got to be— yeah, 100%. for yeah, for uh, yeah, and that's where we have to recognize yeah. and say, as you note, that there are some bad actors and they need to be removed. That's right. And that's where, at the same time, whether it's just a straight public school, that's we right. ought we need to be looking that's, at that as well. That's right. you, so uh, I've told people from my side of the aisle, yeah. you can't say get rid of charters and then see my audit of the Scranton school district yeah. and think everything's fine there too. <laughs> yeah. Just give them more money. Yeah, right. And, and like they, you know, we gave them more money yeah. and they blew it. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, there's some school districts, Stow Rocks, for example, we found they do the best they can with tr- tough demographics, mm-hmm. got great teachers, great administrators, trying to do the best thing they can. Then we see Scranton School District, where they're paying a mechanic $600,000 over the last six years without even seeing receipts for wow. what he's doing with the money. Wow. <laughs> that's six teachers yeah, right there. Yeah, and that's that's uh, the kind of accountability right. that uh, we need in all of our publicly funded right. schools. And that's so right. we thank you for, uh, for doing that. So... Um, you have two kids at yeah, home, absolutely, yeah. uh, and I know that that was one of our connections is yeah. our sons playing baseball. Yeah, we talked the about the little except so, <laughs> so yeah, Ben now is a senior. Sarah is a freshman in high school. Sarah is, just started playing tennis, just started swimming, and uh, she's in the marching band. Ben is a senior, so he just had his last high school performance at halftime uh-huh. uh, with the marching band and, and as a drummer. And uh, baseball will be coming out. Actually, they started already the lifting program. Yeah. Um, they made the state quarterfinals last year, and he wants to do both in college, although he wants to play club baseball because uh, he's not nearly at the level to play at Miami of Florida, um, where he is his number one choice right now. But he's a pretty good player, and it's so, so you go there, you play club baseball, and it's really warm. But so we'll see where he ends up. Well, well rounded, doing music and and sports. That's, that's it is funny. When we had our visit at Miami of Florida, they did uh, the band guy said he uh-huh. goes. We don't have a lot of kids that are state quarterfinals in baseball <laughs> that also want to be on the marching right. band. And that was our, our insistence as parents: is yeah. you got to do something art wise. And something athletically, yeah. we you know you pick, but th- and that's where that's well, where and, and you yourself are continuing to be active. I noted that uh, you are the only statewide elected official that has completed the Spartan. Uh, what is it? The, <laughs> the, the tri- Spartan race trifecta. Yeah. Yeah, what what is that? Okay. And, and so what are you doing to yourself? It is uh, first of all, making it's probably old guys I'm, like me look bad. Well, it, when I say the only one, it may be a good thing for the others that, <laughs> that I'm the only one that does so. It is Christmas Eve 2014, and we're wrapping presents, and Tracy looks at me, and she said, you need another, because she sees my eyes. I'm watching yeah. on NBC Sports Network, this thing, the Spartan Race, and they're in uh-huh. Vermont, and to most normal human beings, This it is looks, like an obstacle course endurance, on mi- right? Yeah. On, on, so yeah. it's you know, mountains, 10 miles, mud, 15 everything. miles, running through mountains, grizzly bears attack you, you know, <laughs> going over obstacles, you wrestle a polar bear, then you go back at the obstacles, and... Um, and most people look and say, that's the craziest thing yeah. I've ever saw. Yeah. I look at that and go, I'm jealous. Like, yeah. how, why do they get to do it and I don't? <laughs> and she said, you need, a, you, I, you need a new challenge. So on the physical side of it. So I sign up for a race in Blue Mountain Ski Resort, summer 2015, and I get hooked. So I do three in 2016. I've done three in 2017. I actually did more in 2017. Um, one in winter. And the one I just came back from is uh, Killington Ski Resort. I did, you know, it was a 15 mile thing, 35 obstacles, 
my, my watch had me do 484 flights of stairs. And now <laughs> I qualified for what is known as the Ultra World Championship in Iceland. I'm leaving December 13th. It's a 24-hour race, five-mile loops of 25 obstacles. And, you know, I... And my mom's because I put on Facebook, I said, I have to practice my lava burpees. And she's like, they're not going to let you near lava. I'm like, Mom, we, no, we don't really do lava burpees, but, you know. Well, that sounds exciting. Uh, so you'll uh, see pictures yeah, on Instagram. Pics, uh, very good. Uh, well, so you can retain your title as the only statewide that, elected that, official. Uh, uh, <laughs> now, Paul Ryan does P90X, so I guess okay. he's a threat for yeah. it. Um, Martin O'Malley. Um, the former governor of Maryland, I know he's thinking about running for president again. He's a very okay. fit guy, but there's not a lot of tough competition okay. out there. <laughs> very good. So, uh, what what are you prepping for next, Eugene? You're you're you're, you're term limited, correct? Yeah. Uh, as an auditor general, so you got and you got a number of years, yeah. what three years left yeah, right. uh, in that? Um, are you thinking that you want to continue in public office or um, from my, something else? From my public life standpoint, I want to take every you know. I want to milk this for what it's worth. What I mean by that is I don't want to leave anything on the table. I want to get as much out of it in public good, pushing as many issues as I can to accomplish as much as possible. After that, and minus something dramatic changing, I do not anticipate running for anything else during my second term. And so at that point, I'll take a break from things for a while. I'll go, you know, hopefully private sector, uh, you know, uh, make a couple bucks, to, you know, set, sit, stick my head in cold water a little bit. Take Because I think it's important to take breaks from this stuff. Sure, sure. Um, and then at that point, yeah, there's, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to running for something again. You know, a lot of people talk about, you know, thinking I'd be a good fit for governor. It is something that, you know, I do hear people talk to me a lot about it will not be in 2018 but if it happens down the line that's something i'll certainly look at so you're not going to primary uh tom no, wolf we're breaking no, news here no, no, no primary. There's, there's no news being broken other than this is really good beer <laughs> well let's talk about some of the policy issues i know recently uh you wrote uh in the philadelphia Inquirer uh that pennsylvania needs to legalize right. marijuana of course right. uh just recently uh legalized uh, uh medical marijuana right. uh the oils and right. and and such um, what your case yeah. for this? I mean, what, why why do you think we need to legalize dope? Let me start off with uh, <laughs> the most failed war in the yeah. history of the United States is the war on drugs. I think we have it's it's a failure. Yeah, we have destroyed communities by taking a lot of not. And this is an issue again where I think the left and right has come together on prison reform. Right, we've taken a lot of nonviolent offenders given a mandatory minimum sentencing. We've built a lot of jails. Some of those people needed to be taken off yeah. the street. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But we didn't fix the drug problem. Yeah. And now look at this opioid epidemic, and it is an epidemic. Mm -hmm. So to me, I start off with the marijuana policy of whether I do think it'll bring in tax revenue, et cetera. But before we even go into that, I think it's a saner way to deal with the issue, which is I think people are going to smoke marijuana they're going to take it. Um, I think compared to a lot of other things that are legal, it's actually less harmful than, than some other things that are legal. And I think it's the same. If we regulate it appropriately, I think it's a way to actually make sure it's less in the hands of kids. And I think it, um, we get more people, in a sense, not going to other harder drugs or even taking marijuana that's synthetic that is much more dangerous. So I think from a health standpoint, why, why did you take this up? Why was this something that you felt the need to uh, speak out about in particular? That's well, a great question. I mean, my dad was incarcerated for, for drugs. Okay. So I saw, you know, again, we were middle-class family. You know, I don't want to compare myself to, you know, and, and my family to what happens in a lot of other families mm -hmm. when this happens, but you go and visit the federal prisons. There are thousands yeah. of people that have a drug problem and needed treatment and not incarceration. Now, again, that's right. not everyone, right. and some people need, yeah. need to be there. But that opened my eyes to, like, what are we doing yeah. here? Yeah. We need to revisit this. And even if Well, you and think, we know that when we lock people up, 90% uh, of them are coming back into right. our communities. And we're usually not uh, rehabilitating, correcting, right? That, we might be punishing, but we're not correcting behavior uh, in our system. That's a great point. So you take my dad. He ended up having a 10-year sentence reduced to 8.5 because he went through the alcohol rehab program. Okay. 
I would say if he were sitting here, so I'm not speaking out of school, he would yeah. tell you he needed some jail time. Yeah. He had to be taught some lesson. But was eight and a half years, like, did the punishment fit the crime? Yeah. And what did we get as taxpayers for probably what ended up being the extra five years? We probably two to three years would have been the appropriate time. Yeah, and if we're spending the equivalent of 30000 right. a year right. uh, for three hots and a, and a cop, That's right? right? I mean, right. is that, right. are, are we actually serving? Yeah, no. Uh, are we you. better yeah. off with having a system where they get the appropriate punishment, give judges the flexibility to make the punishment fit the crime, and then make sure people are able to segue back into society? Because... Pardon me, not everyone is coming back to a middle-class family right. that already has a business and income. Some people are coming back where they have to start all over again. And Secretary Wetzel, Secretary of Corrections Wetzel will tell you, we have a lot of people that get out of prison, and they're in worse shape then than they were when they right. went in. Right. So, so you start off with, with that. Is in car, is, and I, get, I, I think you can have the position maybe not necessarily legalization, but decriminalization. I understand we could have some appropriate differences there, but throwing people in jail for it, to me, for marijuana is insane. That's just my yeah. personal view. So then you get it, okay, what a, then you look at what's happened in the other states that have gone down the path of legalization. I've, yeah, because I was in Denver not long after they legalized it. Man, it just smelled like a, a bong room uh, <laughs> there as you walk the streets. Yeah. But let me tell you something. Less kids have access to it. Um, they're bringing in tax revenue, mm-hmm. less opioid addiction, and again, there's no perfect. I mean, sometimes when I when yeah, I talk about causal this, or you know, right. yeah, some people say, well, there's this downside. I said, I'm not saying there's no yeah. downside, yeah. but I'm talking about when you're dealing with the issue, which one do positives outweigh the negatives? And I think going to a regulation and taxation process for something that we all know is happening. Yeah is a better way to go than our current policy. And that's where my certainly my, my classical liberal libertarian right. views are, that I'm in agreement right. uh, with that. Unfortunately, I think what's ultimately going to drive it, and I'm right, sure right. you agree with right. this, it, it'll be the, the desire for money, right? Yeah, right? That, hey, we can make hundreds of millions of dollars off of this and not deal with what I would call our spending problem. So we're always looking for this free money, right? Whether it's on tobacco or expanded gambling, and I don't, I, this is where, where right. while I w- might uh, be in agreement of like, look, that we ought to decriminalize and right. better regulate this as a, just a better policy agenda, building our spending oh, on, right. you know, vices such as smoking, gambling, drinking, right? right? I mean, uh, and, and then marijuana, to me, that's just a bad way to build right. budgets and policy making. No, and, and I agree with that, especially on the gaming side of things. Yeah. Um, but I would say I... When it comes to regulating and taxing marijuana, even if it produced three extra cents as opposed to $250 million, I think it's a better way to go about the issue. But the bigger issue that you've just raised is on building our budgets. I do not like the idea that our whole solution to everything in the last 10 years in Pennsylvania has been, let's just build more casinos. Yeah, yeah. Now, again— Table. Are we second to Nevada yeah. in terms of gambling outlets and money and I, I, something and, like that? And again, I have no knee-jerk opposition yeah. to people playing the slots. But what I have found, this is as the fiscal watchdog of the state, is that you're not creating new wealth. Yeah. All you're doing is moving <laughs> the gamblers yeah. from one area that they're gambling to the other. So if you tell me we've now legalized betting the Dolphins against the Chargers, I don't lose sleep over that. Like, I... Yeah. I I, I, Who only, watches that game well, in the first place? Not yeah. me. I'm going to be out hiking or something. <laughs> I mean, Steelers fine, Eagles fine, right. everybody else. Yeah. I, I can't even watch it. But um, but removing that for a second about you know whether you really want to watch the game or not, I don't lose sleep on whether you want to have it legal to bet the Chargers against the Bears. Yeah. Like I don't care. But I don't think you're creating new wealth by doing that. So we're going to have this mirage of well, we're going to not tackle any spending, and we're also going to sell this mirage. That we believe the spending is important, but we're not going to ask the public to contribute to it. Yeah. We're just going to make those people pay. I think you're setting it's yourself up. a voluntary up. tax, yeah, right? I think yeah, you're setting yourself yeah. up for we're going to have a fiscal nightmare pretty soon. Yeah, and I, I, I agree 100%, and to I me, think if, that that's problematic. If there is a program worthy of it, I know we may have some yeah. disagreements yeah. about what would be and wouldn't be, but I think we both agree is if it is if it is an important program, yeah. 
we should make the case that the public should contribute yeah, to. Yeah, exactly. I, I would agree with yeah. you there. So talking about building budgets, right. uh, and of course, I'm suing you, which yeah. is always interesting that uh, two people <laughs> in, a, in a lawsuit are having a beer and having a good conversation. And I won't get into the counts yeah, right. that uh, you're involved right. in. Um, but you have said publicly right. uh, that there are merits uh, to our case. And in particular, right. I think you're probably referencing where Article 8, Section 13 of the Pennsylvania Constitution uh, says that operating budget appropriations made by the General Assembly shall not exceed the actual and right. estimated revenue. Right. Uh, pretty clear that yeah. you can't spend more money than what you've got. And we've, yeah. been, we've been doing that. Yeah. The- there is a broader debate about how do we get to a balanced budget. Should you tax more, cut spending? Okay, remove that for a second. The Pennsylvania Constitution language is clear. You have to anticipate a certain amount of revenue. It has to be certified. Then you can spend up to that. You can spend less than that, but yet you cannot spend Spend more more than that. Okay, there is no debate about (laughs) that. And you can't say which has been the habit now is, well, we're going to spend this much and then in five months, we're going to pass a bill that'll make sure it's balanced. Right. No, it means at that point, it's got to be a balanced budget. And it's, it really goes to our failure of our politics right now that this is, really keeps happening. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, I think that you've got a lot of people that want to spend more money, but they don't want to come up with the revenue or right. with the cuts to, to balance that budget. And I think that right. that's why the last two years have been so egregious, right? right. Uh, uh, we were talking about this earlier of how we've done budgeting in the past where you come up with a spending plan and then maybe a day or two later yeah, they'll right. come up with the revenues to pay for it. Well, the last two years we've failed to come up with the monies to even have a semblance of a uh, balanced budget and meeting the requirement of the Constitution. And man, I can tell you as a former legislator, and I know what you said in the next two days the revenue plan passes, yeah. people have to understand that when that happened, the groundwork was being laid for that in the caucuses and meetings and negotiations yeah. well before. So when when I was a legislator and this happened, yeah. you know, where we did the, the the revenue bill maybe a day or two after the spending bill. But we kind of we pretty knew much, that it was coming. We yeah. knew it was yeah. coming. Like yeah. we had already had a broad agreement and it was literally just dotting some I's, crossing them some T's. The last two years, they've done it and then started to negotiate yeah. the revenue plan. Well, it wasn't which, as yeah. if it was like almost pretty much done because you look the leaders of the caucuses. And I know this is not always seeing the sausage get made is not always pretty. <laughs> but you know, the job of the leader is to kind of already know what your members can and can't vote. So you get 102 votes again. That's that's our yeah. democracy. That's how it works in the legislature. They didn't start that process until after the spending plan passed. That's not yeah. a good recipe. Right. Well, and, and obviously we believe that there were clear violations yeah. constitutionally and statutorily. And our goal in this, of course, is to erect those guardrails yeah. that our Constitution put in place. Because I think everybody gets harmed in this, right? right. When, when you aren't sure that the monies are going to flow to human services right. or to Medicaid or, or to uh, the schools. Well, the school right? districts, yeah. right there, see, here's yeah. one of the unintended consequences of that. So the rating agencies, and I know this is inside baseball, yeah. but it matters. Yeah. Because they didn't pass the revenue plan, they had to downgrade Pennsylvania. What does that mean? It's from you and me as consumers, it's worse credit score. Yeah. So what does that mean? It's more expensive for school districts to borrow through no fault of their own. So sometimes you know, a, a new wing of a school has to be built, growing population. Well, because of no fault of that school district, they now have a more expensive loan because of the failure to enact a balanced budget. Yeah. Well, and even before that happened, uh, we're having to loan money because of right. the overspending of last year. Right. Uh, to, I think That's one right. of them was over $140,000 just in interest payments. Just an interest because, payment. Yeah, and this is just not a sustainable right. way for us to do budgeting. So, of course, our hope is that the courts uh, erect right. those guardrails once again in the budgeting process and that we bring some sanity back to things. And for the people listening, there's appropriate times to borrow, I, I believe, for mm-hmm. a state just like a, as an as a individual, sure. as a consumer, and sometimes it's not. I think f- for infrastructure projects, sometimes when you're building a bridge, you know, that bridge has got to be built right now. Sometimes it's appropriate to borrow to make sure that's paid for right now. What we are doing right now is we were borrowing simply to pay the grocery bill. That's not sustainable. Yeah. So uh, here we are on the uh, uh, you know end of 
the most recent election, yeah. of course. Uh, interesting uh, yeah. election in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Not, it, I think it shows where Pennsylvania is still a swing state. Yeah, it wasn't all Democrat, all Republican. Right. But interestingly, all female. That's right. Uh, all of the statewide judicial races, seven of them, went to females. Of Regardless Democrat, of party. That's right. Uh, what, what, when you look at this past election, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, what does it tell you about 2018 in Pennsylvania? Of course, when we have a gubernatorial right. election, we have a U.S. Senate election. And Pennsylvania still being the largest swing state in the country, uh, you know, we're the sixth largest. Um, and so you got California, New York, and Illinois. They're ahead mm-hmm. of us, solidly blue. Right. Uh, Florida and Texas, right. Uh, fairly red. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then Pennsylvania there. As the biggest swing state in the country, so I think a lot of eyes are going to be focused here. What do you think is going to happen here in 2018? I would be stunned if we aren't one of the states to watch in the country because we were probably the state that was the biggest surprise. Yes. On election mm-hmm. night. Now I was able to. You know, to Did win. you go into election night thinking uh, Hillary was going to be president? Because I did. It wasn't until about 9:30 on well, Tuesday night that I went. Oh my goodness! I, I did. I, I don't. I, will, I don't want to speak for some of my fellow raw officers, but I will tell you this: we had a poll that showed myself up with a pretty healthy lead, mm-hmm. which turned out to be accurate. Okay, but it showed Hillary up one. Now, you, some people may say that's a failure of the poll. Yeah. No, uh, no. That that means that was showing. The, no. That means uh, these polls all have a margin of error of sure. three points. So when you're only up one, that actually turned out to be probably a pretty good poll because that was showing a much tighter race. Then the Hillary people had it. Mm-hmm. And then we started to see, particularly southwestern Pennsylvania, northeastern Pennsylvania, counties I'm winning, and Hillary, Secretary mm-hmm. Clinton is in the 20s and 30s. Mm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa. Yeah. And you said, so we had probably the, a state where the biggest chunk of blue collar Democrats at the yep. federal level went Republican yep. for Trump. Yeah. And then came back. Yeah. Okay. Now, to various degrees. In some counties, more so me than others. But, but generally speaking, we were the biggest surprise on election night. I don't think anybody really believed Trump would win Pennsylvania. Right. President, now President Trump. Um, so I think 2018 will be an interesting barometer. Now, when it comes back to the females winning the judicial, I think this could be his real Achilles heel and could be the Achilles heel for Republicans, depending on what happens in 2018. Mm-hmm. If you look at what happened in a lot of these states right now, I think Donald Trump has alienated a lot of suburban women. Yes. And right. People could say, I like his policy. I'm he not, was already in the tank, right. particularly in the southeast right. part right. of Pennsylvania. But I think it's, but I think it's spread, probably, yeah. It is spread now. And so I'm not here to, look, uh, people know that there's some areas I agree with them on, but a lot I disagree. Yeah. But let's, this is just political yeah. Yeah. analysis. Donald Trump has alienated suburban women in the United States. That's not sort of a debatable point. When the Virginia results come out and he's losing suburban counties by 70 and 80 percentage points, yeah. that's, that's not like I'm, you could believe me or not, but <laughs> like the numbers don't lie. Like Fairfax County, like I think you know, the Democratic candidate got like 90% of the vote. Yeah. Okay. So that's an alienation. If that doesn't get moderated to some degree, Senator Casey and Governor Wolf win re-election in relatively well, easy fashion. Well, and, and you know, given my, uh, you know, bent on these things, right. the silver lining for me of a Clinton presidency was the other utter decimation of the two statewide <laughs> races in 2018, right? So it will certainly uh, be interesting. Um, I think, obviously, a lot of time between now right, and, and uh, November 2018 election. I think the Republicans have a real political challenges. I think there's a lot of them that don't like what President Trump does, even if they agree with some of the policies, but they don't like his behavior and tweeting and stuff like that. Right. I think if they find, you know, not that I'm out here giving Republicans advice, but if they can find a way to actually enact some of the policies they agree with while distancing themselves from some of the uh, outrageous behavior. I just to tell you personally, I I I couldn't agree with you more. I just don't believe, again, President Bush, President Obama agree or disagree with their policies. They don't behave like that. Yeah. That's not what, you know, you don't want your leader to behave that way. If they can find a way, I think they can get back in the game. But if they don't find a way to distance themselves, I think they have a real problem. Well, and I think that it's that way all across uh, the country right. and in Pennsylvania that Republicans have got to put some points on the board, if you will. That's right. right. Whether it's tax reform obviously yeah. fell flat on Obamacare, right. uh, repeal and replace. Right. Uh, you can't, you're not going to be able to sustain, you, right. you don't have a case to be made. To the public, if uh, if you don't 
demonstrate success on the things on which you ran. If you're just the average voter that isn't even offended by the yeah. way President Trump behaves, but you're a moderate swing voter, you're looking and going, I gave you guys yeah. everything. Well, and the House, Senate, presidency, and you accomplished nothing. Why shouldn't I give someone else a chance? Well, and it is where it's interesting in Pennsylvania. You do have, uh, I think, a very uh, uh, educated voter in a way, oh, right? I because would agree, you, yeah. Because we elected Trump, uh, Toomey. And then Democrats across the, the row offices. Absolutely. And then even handed Republicans more uh, increased seats at the House and Senate level, which was interesting. I mean, if you look at just, I'm just going to give you Beaver County. Yeah. President Trump wins. Senator Toomey wins. I win. I know Joe Torcell wins. I think Josh Shapiro either wins or loses by a whisker, but he's okay. 20 points ahead of the attorney general and the treasurer. Yeah. 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 So he's either wins it or loses it by a whisker, but okay. we're all 20 to 30 points above the top of the ticket. But then right after that, all the Republicans win the legislative races. So how can you say that the voter wasn't paying attention yeah. to the individual races? Cause they went R D there was no one party way. That's right. That's so that right. was, so I have to, you have to sit down and say, those voters were strategically known. Again, we know that there's a chunk that vote one party. Sure. But the vast majority, I mean, we had analyzed it. In the Scranton and Pittsburgh media markets, not the city, but in the media mm-hmm. markets, 30% of voters for President Trump voted for me. Hmm. I, I'm not saying that the, the condemn or condone. I'm just saying, like, those were people that clearly were voting for the individual and not the party. Well, and that's a good thing, and I think it's why Pennsylvania is a wonderful place. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and why we'll probably continue to be a, a swing state. Anything that uh, is on the horizon that we ought to be uh, paying attention to that you're going to be doing in, in the Auditor General's um, office? People might want to stay tuned to our Philadelphia Parking Authority audit. Ooh, that interesting. That will be coming out soon. We also are auditing the Democratic National Convention. That will uh-huh. be done in about the next two weeks. Um, and there will be some important things about just even how we do state grants in Pennsylvania. Excellent. But well, you, you want to have, I'll just leave it this. You'll want to pay attention to the Philadelphia <laughs> Parking Authority. I, I am sure. That's yeah. long been a, a place that people have said, there's got to be things going on. Yeah, I'll just leave it as, uh, maybe <laughs> yeah, we could talk yeah, again after. That yes. sounds good. Well, hey, Eugene, I appreciate uh, your taking time here on Brews and Views. Absolutely, man. Always good to have a, have a beer with you. And we're almost done. That's right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. You got it. You've been listening to Brews and Views, a production of Commonwealth Partners Chamber of Entrepreneurs. Find us on Facebook at Commonwealth Partners and follow Matt Briette at M-A-T-T-B-R-O-U-I-L-L-E-T-T-E.